going to talk about authority this morning, how to understand authority and how to walk in authority. And if you, you can go ahead and pass those handouts uh, to those that would like one. <clears throat> because it's very important that you and I learn how to operate in the authority the Lord has given us. Over the years, I have watched many people try to do something for the Lord, but instead of operating in authority, they operate either in themselves or they operate in fear or they operate in timidity, and because of that, they're not effective in what the Lord has called them to do. And you need to understand that when the Lord has called you to do something, you have to attack what he's called you to do. The Bible says that the kingdom of heaven surface violence. And those who take it, they take it how? By force. And the kingdom of heaven is meant for you and I to take that by force because the enemy doesn't want you to have the kingdom of heaven. He wants you to have the kingdoms of this world, but not the kingdom of heaven. And so whenever you're doing something, whenever you're singing, whenever you're preaching, whenever you're witnessing, you have to attack that. Now, when I say attack that, I'm not meaning to be mean. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you have to put everything that you are that the Lord has placed on the inside of you, you have to put it into that which you're going after. Whether it's singing, whether it's uh, worship, or whether it's preaching, uh, or whether you may be down here and you're in worship, you need to attack worship. Not just go at it passively, waiting for something to happen, and then you do it, you make something happen. It's... They asked Smith Wigglesworth one time, how did he move so, how did the Lord move in him so quickly? He was actually in a Quaker church where they waited for hours for someone to be moved upon by the Lord. And within 30 minutes, because nobody was doing anything, Smith Wigglesworth got up and began preaching with fire. And after the meeting was over, they said to him, Brother Wigglesworth, how did that happen? We're usually waiting for two hours before God moves on somebody to preach, but it only took you 30 minutes. He said, when the Spirit of God doesn't move me, I move the Spirit of God. And I love that because the Bible says that he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. God is excited and wanting to operate with you in the earth to see his kingdom come in every arena of life. And Jeremiah, the first chapter, you don't have to turn there, but it's the calling that God placed upon Jeremiah. I'm going to turn to it so I can read you verse 17, Jeremiah 1. The calling the Lord placed upon Jeremiah. He called him to be a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah said to him, he said, I can't do this. I'm just a boy. And the Lord said to him, he said, don't say that. Don't say that any longer. He began to go exactly against the Lord did what Jeremiah was thinking about himself He saw himself as a young boy, but God saw him as a mighty warrior. Let me say that again. He saw himself as a young boy, but God saw him as a mighty warrior. And so the Lord began sharing with him what he wanted him to do and how how God was going to put his words in his mouth. And he would speak what the Lord says. And then you get to verse 17 in this chapter. He says, now gird up the loins of your mind. And arise and speak to them all which I command you. 
Do not be dismayed before them, lest I dismay you before them. I find that very interesting there because the Lord is telling him, when you get up to minister, don't have fear on you. When you get up to worship, don't have fear on you. When you get up to sing, don't have fear on you. You break all of that fear off. He says, don't be dismayed. He also told him, he says, gird up the loins of your mind. All that junk that's running through your mind that's trying to defeat you, get it out of your mind. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God. For the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations, right here. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So he wants you and I to begin thinking the way that he thinks. Not to think in fear, but to think in victory. Say, think in victory. Look at somebody and say, I'm thinking in victory today. So you need to think in victory. If you need healing, you need to think in healing. If you need finances, you need to think in finances. I like what Pam said a while ago. I saw, I saw a young guy that I probably haven't seen in about six years. And I was in Tallahassee at the end of the month. And he came up to me and reminded me who he was. And it wasn't until he told me the act of what he did that I remembered. Because I, see, I meet so many people, I don't remember them all. Now, most of you I've met over here, but I don't remember, remember any of you. <laughs> Sorry, except for Lauren. <laughs> you can't forget Lauren. <laughs> but he, he said, he gave me a card, and he said, I want to give you a gift. He says, when I met you in Crawfordville, Florida, I, and I immediately know when I was there, he said, I didn't have any money, and all I had was $20 in coins. And I brought you a sack full of coins, $20 worth, and I gave it to you. And he said, within two weeks, without anything, me thinking I was going to receive anything, I received a check for $3,000. Within two weeks. Cause he, and I'm, I'm, I remember it now because I remember getting that $20 worth of coins and I thought to myself, why couldn't they just go and cash this in and give me some cash? <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, he gives me a $100 bill. That's how everything has shifted in his life. Even in giving, you have to do it with authority, not with fear. Because you do it with fear, there's not going to be any faith for a return. It has to be in faith, not in fear. So anything that you do, you can't be dismayed. So listen to this. This is on your handout. Authority in the right hands becomes a strong weapon that can unlock heaven and its resources in your life. In the right hands, it is a blessing to everyone around you need to understand that. I love to see people operating in authority. Because I know when they're operating in authority and it's in the right hands, I'm going to be blessed also. It's, it's wonderful to see people operating in that level of authority. In Matthew 16, verses 18 and 19 out of the Passion Translation, he says, I give you the name Peter, a stone. And this truth of who I am will be, will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly. And the power of death will not be able to overpower it. 
I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. That's a very important scripture on authority there. Now, you may not think that it is, but he first talks about, he says, upon the bedrock foundation, the revelation that I am Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, he says, I'm going to build my ecclesia. The Greek word ecclesia is the word there for church, and it actually means legislative assembly. If you know anything about government at all, you know government wields a lot of authority. And he was saying there that the government of God in the earth will have authority against the power of death that tries to operate in the earth. Listen to this, authority in the wrong hands becomes usurped power and an abusive weapon. It can do great damage to everything it comes in contact with. This type of authoritative abuse wounds and cripples everyone around. So when we're going to understand authority, not operate outside our sphere and our limits, since probably won't be the first time that I preach on this, I'll probably have more to preach on. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Out of the Passion Translation, Now you understand that I have imparted to you all my authority to trample over his kingdom. Now I love that. That he's given me authority to trample over his kingdom, over the enemy's kingdom. So you will trample upon every demon before you and overcome every power Satan possesses. I love this. Absolutely nothing will be able to harm you as you walk in this authority. That's Luke 10, 19 out of the Passion Translation. See, he's saying there that he's given us this authority. We're able to trample on the kingdom of darkness. We're able to trample over every demon. We're able to put it under our feet. Every power that the enemy possesses, we have greater power. Authority defined, this is out of dictionary.com, and it's the power to determine, adjudicate, or otherwise settle issues or disputes. Jurisdiction, the right to control, command, or determine. A right or power delegated or given, authorization. A person or body of persons in whom authority is vested as in a government agency. The Greek word for authority that we looked at in Luke 10, 19 is the word exousia. And it means delegated influence. It means jurisdiction. It means liberty, power, right, and strength. One of the things you've heard me talk about before is the sphere of authority I have in the state of Florida. That I have authority over the entire state of Florida, and Hal and I and some others were in Tallahassee a few weeks ago, and we exercised our authority by, by, I was sitting in the governor's seat in his office behind his desk. And decreeing that a certain person would not go in there. And by the way, he's not going in there. (laughs) And decreed that a certain person would sit there. And by the way, he's going to sit there. We spent several days in Tallahassee decreeing and speaking what the Lord says about Florida. But one of the things that I know that didn't cross this entire state 
I have authority across the entire state of Florida. From Key West all the way to Jacksonville, from Miami all the way to Pensacola and all points in between, God has given me authority. There was a time several years ago, and I'm going to tell a few stories, several years ago that I was invited to come to Brandon, or, or Branford, I'm sorry, Branford, Florida, because in the sixth grade class in three years, they'd had nine suicides among sixth grade boys, all of them boys. And I had been invited to come there to pray. I had a team with me, and I'll never forget walking up to the door of that sixth grade class, had a, had a key in my hand that was symbolized Isaiah 22, 22. There's no power authority in that key. It's just a prophetic act that I was doing. And I slammed that key to the door of that sixth grade class. And I said, you spirit of death, you can no longer operate in this sixth grade class. In Jesus' name, I bind you, I command you to leave, and I loose and I release the spirit of life in this sixth grade class. Bam, everything shifted. They had no more suicides in that sixth grade class. And then back three or four years ago, I was invited to come to Keystone Heights, Clay County, Florida. There was one high school that the ninth graders, I guess you would call that middle school, within one week, three girls had committed suicide in that school. And so we went up there, and I was working at that time with Representative Charles Van Zant who's also a Baptist pastor. He's no longer a representative, but he's still a Baptist pastor. And I met there in the school headquarters, in the supervisor's headquarters, whatever it is, Board of Education, I guess you would call it, in their office. And I met, everybody there was Baptist. They didn't know about making decrees, and they didn't know about taking authority. And so I had a 10-minute lesson that we know that God does not want suicide in this school that he doesn't want another girl committing suicide. And so we're going to pray and take authority, and we're not going to ask God to do this. We're going to decree that this is the way it will be. And so we made those decrees, and something shifted in the atmosphere over that school system, and they never had another suicide since that time. You have to understand your realms of authority and the places where God's given you authority. He's given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions on all the power of the enemy. In heaven's realm, authority is birthed out of that realm. Authority is birthed out of the realm of the kingdom. Somebody give me your keys. I put mine in my bag. Give me some keys, somebody. Thank you. You don't have just a few keys. You have a lot of keys. I'm going to replace this one with an Alabama, though. Keys represent authority. When he said in Mark, I mean Matthew chapter 16, verse 19 there, he says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Plural, keys. Keys represent authority. If I give you a key to my house, one of the things, you can write this in your notes here. If I give you a key to my house, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm giving you access into my home. Say access. I'm giving you authority to have access. When he gives us the keys of the kingdom, he's given us authority to access the kingdom of God. Keys also represent provision. Everything that I have in my home, you can now make available to you unless I tell you otherwise. 
You can have the food that's in there. We have guests come over, especially during conferences, and I tell them we don't cook during conferences. But anything here that you want to cook, you can do it freely. You don't even have to ask. Just go in the freezer, get it out. Go in the pantry, get it out. That's giving them authority to do that. They also have authority, if I'm letting them stay in my home, to kick out any intruders that might come in there because I've given them access. And see, when you and I receive the Lord's keys, we have authority to have access. We have authority to provision. We have authority for the inheritance. We have authority to kick out any intruders that might try to come in. There, several years ago, I can't go into detail, but several years ago, there was somebody who was in our house, didn't like us, and was cussing us out. And I was trying to move them out of my house peacefully, you know, without touching them. But finally, they said something one time too many. And my wife took her authority. And she grabs them. And she throws them out of our house, literally. Because... That intruder had gone long enough. Come on, somebody. Many of you have intruders in your life that have been there way too long. Spirit of fear, spirit of rejection, sickness, disease that have been hanging around way too long. And if you have the keys to God's kingdom, you can cast those intruders out. Poverty, you need to cast it out in Jesus' name. Woo! It is good. You have the authority to do that. You have the authority, you have heavenly authority to heavenize the earth. Authority is imparted, it's birthed, and it's shared. Say that again. This is important right here. Authority is imparted, it's birthed, and it's shared. Jesus imparts his exousia or authority in our lives. This both can be for your life and for the work of the ministry. I'm going to read this a whole two, um, two sentences again. Authority is imparted, it's birthed, it's shared. Jesus imparts his exousia authority in our life. This can be both for your life and for the work of ministry. One of the things that Nehemiah did is that he lived out of the authority that the king in that day gave to him. He actually had letters to go and begin rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. In other words, he had the authority of the king. Even though the king was a corrupt king and and not not a believer, he was not a Hebrew, he still had that authority that the king gave him. And so when he goes to Jerusalem, begin building that wall around Jerusalem, Those that did not want him to do that begin to try to exercise and usurp authority against him. And he would always wave his letters of authority and tell them, you have no inheritance in this. Let me share with you what authority is not. Authority is not about you or about you living or ministering out of your personality. Living out of your personality can make friends, but it will not unlock the heavens. I want to say that again. Living out of your personality can make friends, but it will not unlock the heavens. And that's very important that you get that. 
Because a lot of times we minister out of our personality. We don't minister out of the spirit of the Lord, which carries authority and weight. Or we don't minister out of the word of the Lord, which carries authority and weight with it. We will try to minister out of our personality. I can promise you, if you minister out of your personality, you minister not of a spirit of fear. And you need to break that off of you. And I'm going to talk in a little bit about how you can get that off of you and the avenues that God gives us for moving in authority. Your soul will try to project authority. But when it does, it's operating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything that's soulish about you comes from the wrong tree usually. And you need to remember this, that in your garden, just as it was in the Garden of Eden, there's always two trees there. There's the tree of the life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I know that we don't think that we ever eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you do. We eat from the good side of that tree. And we justify it because it's from the good side. And if we like the fruit, as Eve did, she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes and good for food. And if we throw it to somebody and they're living out of that tree also, they'll eat of it and they'll say, what a mighty God we serve. And actually it's coming out from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and there's nothing about God in it or mighty about it. Listen to this. Authority is not earned. Authority doesn't have a tenure on it. I've seen people who are 15 years old moving more authority than most people who've been a Christian for 30 years. Because it's not something that you earn. You can't earn authority. You remember the story about Jesus hired some guys at the beginning of the day to do some work. And he all, for the sake of money, he all agreed that they would get $10 a day. Remember that? And then later on in the day, he hired some more Gave them the same amount. And then when as it got toward the evening time when it was time to get off work, he did the unthinkable thing. He went and hired some more and gave them the same thing that he had given to the people who started at the beginning of the day. See, authority or gifts do not have tenure on them. In other words, you can say, I've been in this church 100 years, and so therefore I have the right to. No, you don't. That person who just came in here last week has as much right and authority as you do. Somebody said, come on, I will. It is a good word. It's not about tenure. It's not about how long you've been somewhere. It's not about how long you've been a Christian. It said in Luke 10, 19, we read it a moment ago. He said, I impart to you. I impart to you this authority. So it's not earned, and by the way, it's not for your pleasure. It's to expand the kingdom. Now, you can get pleasure from it, but it's not about pleasure. And the quicker that you begin and I begin seeing that this life that we're living is not about us, but about Jesus, the quicker we're going to operate in the joy of the Lord. Because it's not about us. It's not about me or about you. It's about the king and his kingdom. Authority is not and does not demand its way for you personally. Authority is not controlling. When you see controlling, that's usurped authority. I'm going to camp here just for a little bit and talk about this for a little bit. 
I got to be very careful because this is one of my soapboxes that I do not like controlling preachers and controlling pastors. I despise that spirit of control. When I say I don't like them, I need to rephrase that. I don't like that spirit of control that they're exemplifying. I've seen more people wounded and abused and hurt because of people who were controlling and preachers who would say well if you don't like it there's the door you tell me that I'm probably gonna take the door real life comes when you're released into your gift and there is protocol you have to understand there's always protocol when you're raising kids you have protocol. They go to bed at a certain time. They wake up at a certain time. They're supposed to clean their room. And uh, <laughs> supposed to make up their bed. They're supposed to have all, do all of that. And so there is protocol. But there's not controlling. That ministers or leaders of any kind should not be controlling, whether it's in the church or whether it's in the secular world. They shouldn't be controlling. Last secular job I worked, I had a wonderful boss that was not controlling over me at all. He told me what he wanted done. He didn't have to tell me but one time. He, I didn't, he didn't have to go back again and again and again and tell me I knew what this guy wanted. I had so much favor with him that I could go at probably any time in the year and ask him for a raise and bam, he would give me one. He gave me tremendous bonuses at Christmas. Because of the favor I had with him. As a matter of fact, on your job, you should operate in such great authority that your employer or the person over you should seek you out more than they seek out anybody else on that job. You should have more favor than anybody else on that job. You should have so much favor that all of a sudden everything's coming to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. I had such favor with my life. Now, he wasn't a Christian. like He believed in God, but not like you and I think. He came to me for counsel. It can't come in, your, in my office. I need some of your sage wisdom. And he would always come to me for that because of the authority that I carried. As a matter of fact, when I left him, he cried when I walked away from him. Didn't leave him in a bad way. I gave him a month's notice, and I shouldn't have given him but two weeks because he cried more than one time. <laughs> Authority is not controlling. It doesn't try to control you. It doesn't try to manipulate you or try to get you to do something to make you more like me or more like what I want you to do. And authority is not fear. 2 Timothy 1, 7, in the Passion Translation says, For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. The word fear there in the Greek is the word delia, and it actually means timidity or cowardness. One of those two things. See, God's not given us the spirit of timidity or cowardness. He's given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. He's given us the right and authority to operate in his behalf in the earth. Thank you. I will. Authority is imparted by and through 
the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus, I'm going to share something with you about authority. It's very important that you grab this. In Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. He's, talk, he's talking about the kingdom because he starts off in verse 1, and he says the kingdom of God is like, and then he picks up here in this verse right here, verse 14, and he says, for it is just like, talking about the kingdom, it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Here's some po points to ponder on this. Is first of all, this is about kingdom. Authority is about kingdom. God wants you to bring his kingdom into the earth. This heal team over here, their whole purpose that God's raised them up for is to bring the healing power of God in several different avenues into the earth. God wants to heal, and he uses I, you and I to exercise the gift of healing or faith for healing to bring healing into the earth. So he gives us that. Listen to this. It's about the kingdom. Remember that authority is always imparted. But there are different levels of authority. Not everybody has the same level of authority. Not everybody has the same level of gifting, and that's okay. It's not a problem with that. I, I, I realize that my level of authority is less than the level of authority that Dutch Sheets has. However, when we come together, the levels of authority go off the chain. One, because we're together, but two, because, and I'll get into more of this in a minute, because we're in alignment. Dutch will tell you, and I will tell you, that he's my best friend. He's introduced me many times. Ken is my best friend. I've introduced him as that as well. So there's more than just an apostolic relationship there. There's something that goes deep there. And I'll get more into that in a minute. So there are different levels of authority. One got one level, another got two levels, another got five levels of authority. Thing is, is that you should never envy the level that somebody else is operating in. Because if you do, you'll try to be like them when you can't be like them. Amen. Always operate in the sphere and the level that God's given you. Next, it's given out according to our ability. He gives out levels of authority according to the ability that's within us. That's why people have different levels of authority. According to ability. Say according to ability. See, I don't mind partnering with somebody who has two or has one. Or somebody that has more than I do. I don't mind partnering with them. As a matter of fact, I love that because I know that we'll get more done when we partner together. When authority is used properly... It will increase to the point of doubling. God's called you into a healing gift and healing ministry. The more you exercise that, the, more, the greater the authority to operate in healing is going to happen in your life. I've never, I've never had a blind eye open. I've had cancers, 
Stage four cancers leave people. Had backs healed, but I've never had a blind eye open. But I'm not going to let that stop me. Because I'm going to keep stepping up to the plate when that blind eye is in front of me. And I'm going to keep swinging the bat. Because at some point, I'm going to hit the ball. And when I do, I'm going to knock it out of the park. Amen. See, you don't stop, so you keep. If you have that gift of healing, you keep pressing into that. You keep stepping into it. You keep exercising your authority. I had someone ask me recently up in Mississippi, and I gave them the same answer Catherine Kuhlman did. They asked me, they said, because they know I operate in healing, they said, Brother Ken said, why is it that everybody's not healed? Why is it that you stand in the gap and you pray and you're believing for their healing, and all of a sudden they die? Why is that? And so I gave them the same answer Catherine Kuhlman did. I said, I don't know, but let's see what the Lord's going to do next. Somebody asked Catherine Kuhlman that. Says, Sister Kuma, why, why, why is it that everyone's not healed that you pray for? She said, I don't know. But let's just go out here now. Let's see what God's going to do today. And sometimes you just have to move in that way. And you can't figure all this stuff out. You'll know when you get to heaven. You know, but sometimes you can't figure it all out. Why, the, why it happens this time and didn't happen that time. But the thing that you do is you keep going after it. Because at some point, you're going to knock it out of the park. Now, one of the reasons that the guy who received one level of authority went and hid his in the ground is revealed in verse 25 of Matthew 25. He says, I was afraid. And if you're afraid, then you won't walk in the authority that heaven affords you because of that fear, because of, uh, of timidity and cowardness. The thing that you do is that you have to get into the secret place to break that off of you. Many many of us today do not realize what will happen to us if we get into a deep secret place of relationship with the Lord. We don't mind praying in public, and I'll talk about this in a minute, but when it comes to a personal deep relationship with Him, we spend more time doing other things than we do that. And avenues of authority, last page, Jesus talks about it here. It's called the secret place, Matthew 6, 5 through 8 in the Passion Translation. Whenever you pray, be sincere and not like the pretenders who love the attention they receive while praying before others in the meetings or on street corners. Believe me, they've received, they've already received, I've lost something here, lost my power testing one two all right we're back okay let me pick back up whenever you pray be sincere and not like the pretenders who love the attention they receive while praying before others in the meetings and on street corners believe me they've already received in full their reward but whenever you pray go into your innermost chamber And be alone with Father God. Pray unto Him in secret. And your Father who sees all you do will will reward you openly. When you pray, there is no need to repeat empty phrases. Praying like those who don't know God. For they expect God to hear them because of their many words. There's no need to uh, imitate them. 
since your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Several things he talks about here. He says, be sincere. Say, be sincere. See, God's not religious like you and I are. I remember one time I wasn't getting my way with the Lord, and so I didn't talk to him for two weeks. Now, none of you probably ever done that, except maybe with your spouse. And finally, I went off into my secret place, and I had it out with the Lord. And for about 30 minutes, I told him what I thought he should be doing. By the end of the 30 minutes, I was weeping and crying, telling the Lord I didn't like the way he was doing it. And see, religious people, you're going to have a hard time with this, but God doesn't have a hard time with it. I mean, I get in arguments with him very often, and I'll tell him, I don't think you're moving fast enough. I think you need to do this faster. Moses did the same thing. You go and read. And, um, and so finally, after 30 minutes, I'm, I've paused and the Lord says this to me. He says, are you finished? <laughs> I never will forget this. And I said, yes, I am. And he says, didn't you make me the Lord of your life? I said, yes, I did. He said, let me handle the affairs of your life. And I'll never forget that. Stuck, on, stuck deep down inside me. And the reason I said that was to tell you that you can talk to God sometimes in a way that may not be religious. You don't have to be religious in talking to him. He's not religious. I tell him sometimes, Lord, you don't understand. Especially if he's asking me to do something I don't think I can do. I say, you don't understand God like he doesn't understand. Of course he understands. I'm just trying to get a point across to him. We're having a conversation. So you don't have to be that way. You don't have to be like a pretender. And then the other thing is, now he was not saying here that you're not ever to pray in meetings. He just said, don't be like those who like to get in meetings and pray so that they can be seen and heard by others. That's important. And he says, but when you pray, you go into your innermost chamber and be alone with Father God. Now watch, I watch in here sometimes because I love to watch people because when I do, I see where they are in the Lord. And I watch people who are in their inner chambers sitting, standing right here in prayer or in worship. They're in the inner chamber. As a matter of fact, if they, you touch them, you're going to bring them out of that inner chamber because they're there just soaking up the Lord, you know, or soaking up revelation. And they get in the innermost chamber and they're communicating with God. They're not saying anything with their mouth, but their spirit is talking to the Lord the whole time. And the Lord's talking to them in that innermost chamber. And then he says this. He says, pray to him in secret. You don't have to tell everybody. And your father who sees in secret is going to reward you openly in front of everybody. It's just, you know, I, I'm so thinking about right now when God gave me that Jeep Liberty in 2003, brand new Jeep Liberty. I didn't tell anybody that I had put three raffle tickets in the barrel at our bank. They were giving away five Jeeps. And uh, the Lord has something up his sleeve that I didn't know about. 
And, uh, and so I, I won the first, and it's a whole story. I won the first of five. But I never announced that I was believing for that, that I was thanking God for that. I just dropped the tickets in there, and I went about kingdom business. You see, if, when you operate in authority, if you'll take care of his business, he'll take care of your business. If you're busy about him, he'll take care of you. And, but you'll also be surprised at the persecution I received for winning a brand new Jeep Liberty. Several people came at me and says, you don't deserve that. I deserve that because I don't have a car. Remember tenure. You don't deserve that. I deserve that. See, I hear, do, are you hearing that spirit of jealousy and envy? We don't need to operate that. When somebody gets blessed, and I, I'm praying somebody here gets a $5 million inheritance. Because when you get it, I'm going to rejoice with you. I'm going to let you take me out to dinner. And we're not going to Golden Corral either, baby. <laughs> or maybe somebody here wins a $10 million lottery. Oh, Brother Ken, you shouldn't have said lottery in the church. I don't play the lottery, but I know some people here who do. And when you win, I know where the tithe's coming. <laughs> don't imitate those. Pray to the Father who's in secret, and he's going to reward you openly. Next thing, avenues of authority is Alignment. If you turn in your Bibles, I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. This is a great, great word here. And he has appointed some with grace to be apostles, some with grace to be prophets, and some with grace to be evangelists, and some with grace to be pastors, and some with grace to be teachers. And their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. As they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. These grace ministries will function until we all attain oneness into the faith, until we all experience the fullness of what it means to know the Son of God. And finally, we become one into a perfect man with the full dimensions of spiritual maturity and fully developed into the abundance of Christ. And then our immaturity will end. Hallelujah. And we will not be easily shaken by trouble, nor led astray by novel teachings or by the false doctrines of deceivers who teach clever lies. But instead, we will remain strong and always sincere in our love as we express the truth. All our direction and ministers will flow from Christ and lead us deeper into Him the anointed head of his body, the church. For his body has been formed into his image and is closely joined together and constantly connected as one. And every member has been given divine gifts to contribute to the growth of all. And, and as these gifts operate effectively throughout the whole body, we are built up and made perfect in love. Now, I, I love this teaching here because alignment is so important. Many of us don't understand alignment. Alignment is, and, and actually it is in this chapter right here in verse 12. 
when it says, and call unto the nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry, that word prepare is the Greek word kathartizo, and it actually means to equip something or put something in its proper position or proper place, meaning proper alignment. A Greek chiropractor would say, let me kathartizo you. Let me snap your back into place. Anybody ever been in down in their back and, and all of a sudden, it hurts just to do anything. Anybody ever had that? How many of you gone to the chiropractor and they got it fixed? Good. What they did was put you in alignment because before you couldn't function at optimum because you were not in proper alignment. But once they catartizoed you, snapped you into place, then all of a sudden you get back into alignment to where you can function the way God called your body to function. This is also mentioned over in the book of Matthew and Mark where James and John were mending their nets is the word catartizo there. Put something in its proper position, proper place. One of the things the Lord is doing today, he's bringing us into alignment with fivefold. Not onefold. Let me say that again. With fivefold. Not onefold. So you, you need... See, if all you ever have is one, all you ever have is an apostle, all you ever have is a pastor, or all you ever have is an evangelist, all you ever have is a prophet, you're only operating at one-fifth of the potential that God's called you to. And so he's bringing us into alignment. When I came into alignment with Dutch Sheets, my authority level went to places I had never seen before. It went off the chain and off the charts. And I value that alignment that I have with him. There was one time several years ago that Satan tried to get me out of alignment with him. I just got to feeling sorry for myself. No, none of you ever do that. I didn't feel like he was giving me enough attention. That sound familiar? He wasn't, he's not giving me enough attention. And so I got down and out, and for about two weeks, I was thinking, I'm just going to break off my alignment with him. The thing was, is that he had not done anything to make me say that I should do that. I just got to feeling sorry for myself. Should be paying more attention to you. Well, you can tell that's the devil right away. Because it had you written all over it. Finally, after two weeks, I came to my senses, and I said, why are you thinking this way, Ken Malone? And so I answered myself back. I said, I'm thinking this way because I'm walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. And I break this off of me now in Jesus' name, and I'm not going to walk away from my apostle. I'm staying with him through the thick and through the thin in Jesus' name. Now, I didn't call him and tell him that because he didn't know what the stuff I was, you know, I had imposed upon myself, my own self-pity. I didn't, I didn't need to tell him all of that. I was the only one that needed to know that. Sometimes you're the only one that needs to know about your self-pity. <laughs> Nobody wants to come to our pity parties anyway. And so the enemy will try to get you out of alignment. My alignment with him, there's several things that happened. When God called me to be an apostle, 
And you don't have to call me Apostle Ken. You can call me just Ken, okay? And I'm not into titles. Never have been. But I do know what my gift is. And I'm not a pastor. And I do not want to counsel you. Okay? That's Pastor Kendall's place to counsel you. And, but what happened to me was I began, I, I knew that to walk in this, I had to walk with people that were operating in an, an apostolic gift already. Because iron sharpens iron. So I had to begin walking with them, and my authority level went off the chain. My revelation of the word. I, in 2003, 4, and 5, I went through so much paradigm shifts, it was, it was crazy. As God began shifting me out of an old wineskin and into a new one. You want to grab alignment and run with it. Another one is relationship is another avenue of authority. It says in Ecclesiastes 4, I love this scripture. Two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. Cheryl and I are much better together. <laughs> I missed you too, sweetie. And, but I've had people tell me, you're a much better preacher when she's around than you are when she's not there. Now, there's a reason for that. One is that two are better than one. There is a flow there. There's a symphony there. There's an agreement there that has taken place because of us being one, and she and I are one. If you want to fight with me, you also got to fight with her. Two are better than one. They have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. It's a powerful word of authority. There may be times where you stumble. Be sure that you have somebody that can pick you up. Whether it's through prayer or whether it's through laying hands on you and getting you healed or whether it's through finances or that sort of thing, you find somebody that you can partner with, move into relationship with. It's more than just surface relationship. I'm not, when I'm talking about relationships here, I'm not talking about service relationship where you're an acquaintance with someone. I'm not talking about an alignment where you're an acquaintance with someone. I, I tell People all the time coming to me, and they say, Brother Ken, I want to come into alignment with you. I say, let's date for a while, and let's see what that looks like. And I tell them, I say, you know, six months down the road, you may not like me. Not only that, six months down the road, I may not like you. It's true. And so when I'm talking about alignment and relationship, I'm talking about deep alignment and deep relationship. Not on the surface. Where, where you move into getting to know, Cheryl, Cheryl could come up here and preach most of my messages because we're in such alignment in relationship. She sometimes knows what I'm going to think before I say it, and then sometimes she adds stuff that I need to say. <laughs> Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone if one can't overpower him who is alone, can't overpower him, who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, 
Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. I love this verse of Scripture, I always have, because that word agree is the word symphoneo in the Greek. It's where we get our word symphony from. The word sim or, or, or actually sum in the Greek is the word together. The word phaneo is the word for sound. And that word phaneo is where we get our word phone from. When we use a phone, it comes from this Greek word right here, phaneo. And what he's saying there, if two of you operate as a symphony, say symphony. If any of you operate as a symphony, look what he says here. Anything that they may ask, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. Now, I love this because he's calling his church to begin operating as a symphony, not operating as a single sound. To operate as a symphony, not a single sound. This is why we have to learn how to dwell together. Uh, Psalms 133 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together. Then it says in unity. The results of dwelling is unity. You can't do unity. Unity is a noun. But you can do dwell because it's a verb. And we learn each other and we begin having deep relationship with one another. Then we operate in that symphony to where nothing is impossible whatever you ask the Lord. Nothing is impossible to you because you're in that symphony place. Anybody ever gone to a symphony and listened to them tune up before they? It doesn't sound good, does it? You've got all these different instruments tuning. Everybody's doing their own thing. They're playing their own tune. They're playing their own song. They're tuning their instrument up. But then all of a sudden, the maestro, the conductor, steps out on the platform, taps his wand, and he raises his hands. And all of a sudden, that band, that orchestra, begins coming together as one, even though they all have a different sound now they've come together as one this is what he's talking about here it's not you losing your identity it's you bringing your identity and others in their identity and you becoming one to do what God's called you to do it is good another avenue is the baptism of the Holy Ghost now this is so good Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. There's power when the Holy Ghost comes upon us. There's power. I, I should have put the name of Jesus on here. But there's power when the Holy Spirit comes into our life. When we're baptized in the Holy Ghost, something shifts on the inside of us. And he says in Acts 4, 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they sp spoke the word of God, how? With boldness. Not with timidity, but with boldness. I'm telling you, if you have the foundation shake, you'll be speaking bold too. We had this happen one time in Franklin, Tennessee. I was doing the, uh, act, the uh, Acts 431 uh, awakening tour. We had received a word from the Lord when we were in Eufaula, Alabama. There's a highway called 431 that goes from Dothan all the way to Owensburg, Kentucky. And that, that the word was that God was going to bring awakening upon that highway. And so we did a tour. 
And actually, um, I can't think of his name, the bluegrass Christian guy. He's pretty, no, 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 the other one. He lives up north Alabama now. Anyway, he had prophesied that Acts 4.31 was an awakening highway also. So when we get up to Franklin, Tennessee, and we're doing a meeting in a church there called The Gate, <clears throat> the whole place literally, Ray Hughes, whole place begins shaking. The foundation started shaking. Ron Teal got out of his car and was walking on the concrete up to the building, and the concrete was shaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. See, there's something happens when the Holy Ghost comes upon us. That's why I was telling you today that you need to stir up that gift inside of you. You have the authority to change the atmosphere. You have the authority to stir up the gift. You have the authority to cast out devils. You have the authority to heal the sick. You have the authority to raise the dead. And anybody tells you different, they're preaching a different gospel. That authority belongs to you. Stand to your feet. We're going to begin praying. I just feel like an impartation of authority this morning.